providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us again today on another edition of FNF Unplugged. Really happy today to have as our guest uh, Dion Joseph. Dion's been a friend for some time, a colleague out of Columbus, Ohio. She is the commercial underwriter for uh, Title First Agency there in Columbus. And uh, Dion, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Chuck. Now, I know before you start asking me questions, and I know the world is listening, I'd like to give a shout out to the real estate industry professionals in my birth country, Trinidad and Tobago, and all those hardworking professionals in the Caribbean. Well, you know, that's great. And and all the time I've known you, I did not know that you were Trinidadian. (laughs) (laughs) What? I didn't lead with that? Oh, well, they may take away my card. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, that's absolutely and uh, best to everybody there. Again, thank you so much for joining us. And and you and I have worked on various things. And in in your role as president of Ohio Land Title Association, uh, you did a great job there leading uh, the industry in the state of Ohio. And, and in particular, I mean, something that you know, we're going to talk about today are you know, fair housing initiatives. But before we do that, and again, especially since now I know that uh, your, your background from Trinidad, when you were in first grade, did your teacher say, what do you want to do when you grow up? You said, I really want to be a commercial underwriter in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> um, what, you know, how did you get into the industry and, uh, you know, what, what led you uh, from uh, Trinidad and the land of steel drums, as it sometimes was called, uh, to uh, coming to uh, Columbus? Well, I think that's a really good question because in first grade, I was still in Trinidad. One of the things when you are looking at, well, my parents as a young couple deciding, are they going to stay in the country or migrate to a new country? for opportunities for their children, because my father made a really good living as a carpenter for Sharp, who had a factory down there. And one of the things is we're going to build our house. I feel like in, in when I've gone down there, that's what people talk about is building their home. So at least fundamentally in the back of my brain, there was this idea of, hey, you could build your own home. Now, by the time I was nine, we immigrated to the Bronx, New York. And, um, you know, my parents sacrificed a lot to put my sister and I through Cardinal Spelman High School in the Bronx, which, you know, I'm an alum, so I'm going to just say it. We're the best. And, (laughs) (laughs) And in the process of doing that, I remember going into a guidance counselor's office. Um, I'd never met that guidance counselor. And of course, this is in the early 90s. And I said, you know, I want to pursue a JD degree. And and what was offered to me was not that. It was actually to become a paralegal. And let me tell you, you and I, Chuck, know that we get title objection letters from uh, paralegals and they have earned a JD degree. I mean, those are phenomenally well-written ones. But I wanted to go to law school. And I don't know, you know, at the time I was on honor 
society, you know, as a baiter, I'd already been accepted to college, a very good college. And I'm thinking, you know, were, was that guidance counselor out of luck? Were they just not thinking beyond what I would call the normal jobs? Clearly for that guidance counselor, title was nowhere in their realm, right? They're not even thinking about it. But it was a buddy of mine from law school, and it's our third year. We're getting ready, you know, to be finished off. And he's in like a room trying to fax a closing package. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I started a title company. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I I ended up joining him in his title company in Johnstown, Ohio. And then later, probably I worked with him for a year or two. I was not really... Residential closings were, they're a beast. They're a different kind of professional than me. And I ended up with National Title Services, a job there, and I fell in love with that work. I just love commercial work. And, you know, now I've been in the industry about 20 years. I'm not going to talk about the plus years, just around 20 years, Chuck. I love your story about the guidance counselor because uh, a very dear friend of mine who later became uh, nationally known as a managing ER physician uh, ran University Hospital's uh, ER here in Cincinnati, which is the high-end trauma center, Um, also wrote uh, books on uh, toxicology. Um, He was told by his high school guidance counselor he should consider a career in manual labor. So, so much for guidance counselors. And if any of you are listening, I'm sure that most do a very good job. But in the last few months, now you and I have become involved in the Mortgage Bankers Association's Convergence Initiative for the Columbus Metro. And a few months ago, we had Jeff McAvoy on FNF Unplugged to discuss the Memphis Convergence Program. But can you discuss the Columbus Initiative and basically, again, how it works and who is involved and And then again, you know, the the goals of uh, convergence and and how this can be of value, not just to the community, but for title and settlement agents. Absolutely. Now, I just, you know, full disclosure to your listeners, Chuck, you got me involved and, you know, you have a serious commitment to affordable housing issues because we've had conversations so I'm very glad to be part of the program. But for you listeners, this this is an incredible person who is um, asking me questions. I did go back through the podcast because I am a fan of this program. You had Steve O'Connor on, and he did a phenomenal breakdown of the MBA's Affordable Housing Initiative and the two cities they had um, provided. So I'm not going to go over that talk or even Jeff's, but I do want to start with three things in Columbus that I, you know, is data that I'm not really proud of here, but, you know, that's what convergence is about, is taking things you're not proud of and converting it into a proposition of empowerment. And so one is racially restrictive covenants and their role in the Columbus area between 1921 to 1935. And the data shows that 67% of all developments in Columbus had them 
It was only till the Ohio Revised Code section 5301.05 that uh, discriminatory covenants, restrictive covenants became void in the state. And um, that just became effective in September of 2021. So it, that's, that's a real deep history uh, there in development. Additionally, going on at the same time, you've got the Federal Housing Administration established in 1934. So it's during the New Deal era. And there are segregation efforts going on with a policy known as redlining. So what redlining is, for those who don't know, is the federal government had created these maps of metropolitan areas in the country, and they color-coded them. And the color codes designated those areas that were safe to insure mortgages. Well, um, African-American communities and mixed-race communities were not in those, quote, safe-to-insure mortgages communities. And finally, not finally, but at least the third thing I'm going to talk about was the highway projects, which directly went through those redlined neighborhoods. And in Columbus, we had the Bronzeville as well as the Hansford Village communities that were impacted by those. A study that I looked at suggested that if you look at the 2015 census data, Columbus is the second most economically segregated city in the country. The median household income for Black families is 40% lower than that of white families. Now, we know, Chuck, that home ownership has long been considered a path to intergenerational wealth creation in the United States. The black home ownership gap may grow wider currently because of two trends that we are seeing in the industry right now. Soaring housing prices, not just in Columbus, but across the country, and investment groups who are purchasing for redevelopment and their decreasing possible inventory to be used for affordable home ownership. And I guess third, I would apply the lack of trust in those communities as a real barrier to home ownership. And this is due to persistent, incomplete, or simply inaccurate information that's being circulated in the community. And just the predatory business practices that seem to erode trust in the communities. Now, how does Convergence Columbus actually work? Well, there are work streams. They have developed five work streams. And those work streams are outreach and education, products and programs with the objective to create and provide affordable lending programs and products to assist aspiring Black homeowners, Workstream three, preservation and sustainability. Objective here is to create and or provide programs and services to help Black homeowners stay in and maintain their homes. And then we have two measurement streams, right? Because you're doing all this work, but you've got to measure to see if you're being successful. And one is an 
evaluation framework, and that is uh, to develop, design, and pilot an evaluation or scorecard of the program. And then a housing supply pilot program, which is designed and CoreLogic is developing that decision support tool. I am not in the measurement group. We really fall into, title professionals would fall into Workstream 1 through Workstream 3. And with Workstream 1, the outreach and education, you know, many people think because they have a low credit score or, you know, for Black professionals, uh, high student loan debt, they are precluded from purchasing a home now. And really, that's a myth. The other hindrance is often down payment. But guess what? There are down payment assistance programs. And, you know, that information is not really making it out into the communities. And that needs to happen. With the Workstream 2, the products and programs section, what we're seeing is that we want to look at vetted lending programs vetted resources to just really impact that predatory business practice impacting that market. And I'm in that work stream and I'm, I'm going to tell you the, you know, I'm seeing things that programs where your credit score can be a 620 and you can get a loan to buy a house. So it's just about education across the board as well as creating the infrastructure so that those who are going to be using a list of lending programs have the right tools and accurate information. Now, I know, Chuck, you're in Workstream 3, the preservation and sustainability aspect. We were having a discussion and you brought up home warranties should be part of this you know, program and maybe be financed because if the seller is unwilling to buy it for the buyer, it should be part of the initial financing structure just outright. And home warranties would be a good idea for any new owner because it just seems like in year one, you know, something's going to break in the house. And it just, you know, you've spent all that money to get into the house to have something like the dishwasher go out or the furnace, it's great to have that home warranty already developed. The other, and I really think this was you, Chuck, as well, because we were, um, the title people got together and we were discussing what we wanted to see added to this program. Now it's not there yet, but you know we have a lot of time. The program is new here in Columbus and we're still putting together all of our stakeholders, but that is a toolkit of what do you need on day two of home ownership, right? You need to buy a ladder, you need a toolbox. What, what kind of tools in your toolbox do you need? I mean, most people are coming from apartment living where there's a super right? Or, or some kind of person you just dialed an arm and go, hey, this is broken. But guess what? Now you're the super. <laughs> and maybe you don't have as many skills. I do not have 
a lot of home ownership <laughs> skills. I'll, I'll say that right now. But I, I mean, Chuck, do you have anything else besides that? I could, could not recall, you know, what else besides the uh, toolbox, you know, and, and letting them know they needed that and the ladder, which you don't think about. Well, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And going back to some of your comments, and by the way, thank you for your kind comments. To my mind, all types of fair housing initiative, everything that can be done to get more people into homes, going beyond the altruism, going beyond the being a good citizen and just moral behavior is that the more people who own homes, the more transactions are closed by title and settlement agents. We all get to make money, including the people who buy the homes. As you say, that's how intergenerational wealth is created. And it's uplifting that helps drive revenues and, uh, you know, within the marketplace generally, improves values in uh, underserved communities in in terms of uh, the housing stock. And and I think, too, you know, your your point about trust building is so important. I used to do a lot of first-time home buyer presentations uh, going back, uh, well, now 15 and 20 and 25 years ago in the Cincinnati metro area and worked very closely with a good friend who was an FHA lender. And uh, we did first-time homebuyer meetings, usually in the evenings, because that's when people, because they work during the day, uh, you have to be willing to go out and do it at seven o'clock at night, sometimes in the wintertime when people are available. But when I started doing those, one of the things that struck me early on, particularly among the African-American attendees that we had, were just as you say, you know, these mythologies that you can't afford to buy a house because you don't have 20% down. And then he would explain FHA programs and other, you know, as we've had in Ohio and elsewhere, if you're you know, FHA may be available to, and if you're a veteran, you can stack FHA and VA programs. There's a whole group of things, you know, there were Ohio mortgage bonds, there were tax uh, credits that were available. But so many of those people that we instructed were people who came out of just, you know, you were saying, you know, apartment dwellers. But I remember one young couple and that they were fourth generation public housing. They not only had no experience in the private ownership of real property, they didn't know anybody who ever owned a house. And you know, for them to hear about, yes, you know, yeah, you need a ladder, uh, you need a toolbox, you need a, a lawnmower. And by the way, the bank's not going to do this for you. <laughs> you have to do it yourself. But once they get over that shock that, well, yeah, you can do this. This is something you can do. And it takes some work. But on the other hand, you're going to provide a better life for you and your family. So, yeah, I, I think that that trust building and you know, to be able to tell people that whatever you may have been thinking about your inability to buy a house or refinance or stay in your house. And again, that homeowner's warranty, I thought was so important because just as you say, uh, I used to jokingly say, well, the appliance gods know when someone moves out of the house because water heaters just go out. And then you're in an FHA program and people have used most of their financial resources. And now They've got a thousand dollar, a two thousand dollar, a three thousand dollar expense, and they don't have the money. And what has quite often happened, unfortunately, is they just move out. 
Exactly. And that's why I feel that the Convergence Project, the way it's developed within these five work streams, they're really thinking from beginning when, you know, you're saying, let go of the fence and come, you know, enter into the home buying experience to the end where they're already in the home and we're trying to make sure they succeed, you know, they thrive. That's ultimately what I see the design of the program has created. And I know there is discussion to go back a year later and ask more questions and check in on those participants. Clearly, we're not there yet. We're still building out the program. I know that was probably going to come up. Adion, when are we launching this? Nope, not yet. But trust when it happens, there will be a uh, measurement at the end to help. You know, the thing that maybe got lost in all of this, and I want to go back, is that the Convergence Columbus is looking at existing neighborhoods. We are not looking initially at developing new neighborhoods and then putting, you know, bringing them. It's existing neighborhoods in Columbus that uh, this program will uh, be part of. And it's a mixture of both public and private stakeholders. So we have the MBA members, of course, the Columbus Urban League, the Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority, Ohio State University is involved. We've got Habitat for Humanity, Mid-Ohio, Homeport. Those are some of the major co-leads. We have the Columbus Realtors Association, the Columbus Realtors Association. And then we also have uh, title professionals besides Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae. And um, one of the things I am excited with the Convergence philosophy is open the arms wide. They're casting a huge net. The first one I recall was, hey, look to the left and look to the right of this Zoom call. Who is not here that you feel should be here? And I think that's really important, again, to building trust because the more neighborhood associations that touch this at whatever level, for as long as they're interested in staying involved, when uh, someone comes to them, they can go, yes, I know that program. Yes, it's a good program. And how can I help you succeed as well? I was just going to comment, too, that, you know, for our listeners, those who are members of the Mortgage Bankers Association, that Convergence Toolkit is available at the MBA website, you don't have to wait for Convergence to come to your town. And I think that, you know, driving a Convergence type program, it may not be technically, you know, an MBA Convergence program, but it certainly can utilize that toolkit that MBA has put together. This is a good thing for everybody. And um, to be able to bring together those parties, as you say, because it is a far reaching group. And one thing which I have found always since I got involved in fair housing initiatives back in the 1990s, when I was on a mayor of Cincinnati's Blue Ribbon Commission to uh, increase home ownership in Cincinnati, uh, which, by the way, is exactly where it is today when it was in the 1990s. So we were hugely successful. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but that being said, 
to learn about other organizations and the assistance they can give, especially in that community outreach area. That's where quite often you can get every banker in town around a table. And that's great, but you know, how are you going to get this message across to the people you're trying to reach? Do you know any of them? You need those people in, in the community outreach groups because they're already active, they're already busy. They're looking for help and uh, be able to bring them in and say, as to, to your point of, you know, look around, who's not here? There's other people to bring into it. And I, th I think it's a great opportunity for title agents and settlement agents around the country. Absolutely. And I've been talking about convergence internally. And what I'm seeing is just a, a real excitement about the program and more importantly, what can be done nationally. I just had a conversation with the American Land Title Associations, Diane Toome and Chris Morton. And I was excited to hear they were paying attention and that they would like to help. And they do want us as title professionals to let them know what we see the needs are and uh, that's really important to have the National Association be involved. What are the goals here that we're trying to accomplish? Gross increase in Black home ownership, net increase in Black ownership, the community being more financially literate, long-term financial relationships are formed, community knows who their trusted advisors are, community is better poised for generational wealth building through home ownership. I mean, value, of course, is not just the community, but also for the title and settlement agents. And you've just earlier in this conversation nailed it, right? The win is having individuals who've been kept out of the real estate industry brought in. I can do more deals. But, you know, I'm also going to talk about how the stabilization of those neighborhoods create jobs in the communities because there is a commercial business component that now comes back into these neighborhoods. And, you know, one of the things as I was thinking through this is, in my experience, I can name very few title companies still in the inner city neighborhoods. They seem to have exited and moved to the suburbs. And so here you are, you've got a home that you're buying in one of these areas and you are driving to close your deal in the suburbs to come back. My hope is we're going to see a return of title agencies in these communities and neighborhoods providing jobs where the residents who take these jobs don't have to get in a car and commute to the suburbs. They could walk to work. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd also like to see more Black-owned title and settlement companies in our area. And maybe this is the way it starts. Because there are lots of Black professionals who would hopefully buy in the community and, you know, look at starting their own title company. You know, it's a, it's a great industry to be a part of. I completely agree with you. And I, I think, you know, and, and if I can, 
because I, I don't want to take up your entire day because you and I can talk about this all day. <laughs> okay. um, but that being said, and shifting gears just a little, but to that point, uh, as past president of the Ohio Land Title Association, you're involved with OLTA's uh, diversity, the DEI committee, and also Ohio Land Title Association's Committee on Talent Recruitment. And can you discuss, you know, I mean, again, well, some of the goals, obviously, mm-hmm. of, of those two groups, but how they overlap, because it's just exactly what you're talking about. We know we need more and more younger people in our industry. We know because the MBA has said all the growth, all the growth in housing in the next 20 years will be in minority communities. And to be able to bring in not just young, talented people, but you know, to steal from Nina Simone, young, talented, gifted, and black into our industry. If you can talk about that, because uh, it seems to me like um, you're really sort of there in in the middle of a crossroads, but all directions lead to the same place. Absolutely. So the Diversity and Inclusion Committee at the Ohio Land Title Association was uh, task force during my presidency and then became a formal committee about a month after. So I'm now the immediate past president and I sit on the board, but I also sit as the board liaison to this committee. And really a quick shout out. Thank you so much for all of our members. They're doing a phenomenal, the committee members doing a phenomenal job on this. We decided to do three strategic matters, right? One, education. We needed to educate our membership by writing articles in our bi-monthly periodical. And secondly, having within our seminars, the OLTA seminars, having an education program. And then we would send them speakers to discuss the relevant topics. The second was just developing resources. And currently, we're looking at a small business owner's toolkit on DEI. And um, there are lots of resources out there talking about, you know, how a small business owner can go about adding a DEI component to their hiring practices, as well as their HR policies. So very quickly, something that would seem innocuous, like your hairstyle, Well, in the Black community, braids are a professional way in which to come to work. And, you know, for many, many years, especially when in the 90s, that was something very difficult to navigate as a Black professional. So you have to, when you're creating your HR policies, be cognizant of some of these things that are will touch DEI. And having DEI as a resource, like a council of employees, that will be really helpful to kind of help you navigate that if you're a small business owner. The third really is just mentoring within the industry. Uh, right now, we're in the process of doing some informal tell our stories, just get together after official events. We're going to hold one uh, April 7th in Columbus after the OLTA Spring Seminar. And I'll just say all are welcome. If you're a title professional in our area, you come on down. So that's what's going on there and what they're working on. But simultaneous is the Workforce Development Committee. That just became a committee, I think, a month or two ago. We were a task force, and I 
did run the task force report because we're just going to continue that work. And what we focused on as a task force was how to collaborate with community colleges that already had an established real estate program. And therein, we could quickly create a platform that we could build on. Now, I'm going to tell you that the reason OLTA could do that is because we have something called the OLTA Academy. It was five years in developing. It's an online training certificate program. And it's in three key areas, escrows, settlement, title clearing, and notary closer. And pretty much it is backed by the OLTA. So if I take a program that I know Ohio University has a pre-licensing course in real estate, and if I add three courses to that, I probably could get a title professional or the makings of a title professional right out of the gate because they've taken those certificate classes and now I can add three of the OLTA Academy courses and onboard them very quickly. And the reason we chose certificate courses that are developed by other community college because uh, Sinclair Community College out of Dayton, they have a one-year surveying course. They also have several real estate programs. What you find are non-traditional students. People have gone back to try to change their career. And Chuck, the title industry is a very good career to be in. So that is really the endeavors right now. I think the third, besides looking at the college, is an idea being floated of creating a resume portal where we can direct, OLTA can direct traffic through and then have a small fee to our members to access those resumes. So, you know, we have a point where someone can enter in statewide. They don't have to look for that title company local. They can go statewide because one of the things we're seeing is people want to move, right? They they want this remote aspect. And I think title companies are, you know, becoming more flexible because we lead by what the workers want, Right. As long as we, at the end of the day, still have a quality product that follows best practices. We must have that. I just want to say, I I think that everything that you've discussed here today is just so critical for our industry and, and how these things are really intertwined. I think it's very, very important. And and you and I have discussed and other agents that we know, especially some of the minority agents and around the country, some of the minority agents that I know who some are black, some are Hispanic Latino, some are Vietnamese, to be able to have people who work in our industry so that if someone comes to that title agency and if they're black or they're Hispanic or Latino or in, in, in Columbus, if they're Somali, um, yes. If they're in Minneapolis, they're Hmong, mm-hmm. that there's somebody there in the agency where it's like, okay, well, this person, yeah, I, you know, we, we can relate to each other. And it gives a great deal of, I think, 
comfort, and again, that trust building, that, um, you know, yes, you too can own a home and let us show you how and let us help you. So I just want to thank you so much for being here today. And, uh, and obviously, if someone hasn't gathered by now, you have what is, we call it FNF, a bias to action. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you, you get things done. Um, I will also add, too, that at FNF, we have uh, a wealth of materials uh, through our agency website available to our agents on many of these topics, particularly in regard to uh, employee recruitment and employee development. We have these things, but please, to everybody listening, have Dion's bias to action, because this is where we're going to be able to not just sustain, but build and grow our industry. And again, Dion, thank you so much for your time today. Is is there anything that you'd like to say and sort of, you know, a, a final comment? Uh? I'd like to thank you. I'm honored to speak about Convergence Columbus and the work and vision of the board of the Ohio Land Title Association. You know, I promote going out into the world and bringing joy. Well, I think that's... Uh, just a great final statement for anything that, that goes forward. So again, thank you so much for being with us today. And thanks to our listeners for joining us here today. Uh, we hope uh, that uh, you find it rewarding. And again, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. Um, I will try to not forward everybody's emails to Dion because I'm sure many of you will want to do that. And she has this day job, but uh, but she is certainly available for, for help. And uh, again, thanks to everybody for listening and hope you have a pleasant day. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies, all rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.